All right. Hey, my friends, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Real Live Talk. Really, really excited that you guys are here to check out today's conversation uh, with a new friend of mine, John Arroyo. Uh, John is a U.S. Army veteran who served his country faithfully as a Green Beret and later became a captain in the medical corps. He received many awards for his service, which included deployments to both Afghanistan and Iraq. And although he returned safely home from overseas, he was later targeted in the second mass shooting on the fort uh, on the on the base in Fort Hood, Texas. He miraculously survived. And uh, today, John serves God wholeheartedly and is a speaker across the United States and other nations. And uh, really, really excited for the opportunity to jump into this conversation. I promise you there's going to be so much uh, value added today. So please stick around. And if this conversation blesses you, uh, makes you think, challenges you, inspires you, uh, please consider uh, subscribing, uh, sharing, leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms. That's always super, super helpful. and really appreciate that. And again, thank you guys for being here. And now please join me in welcoming to the podcast for the first and uh, hopefully not the last time, John Arroyo. Hey, John, welcome, brother. (laughs) Great, great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Duke. Yeah, I'm pumped for this conversation. I'm glad that we were uh, finally able to make this happen, man. A shout out to uh, Dr. Janelle Royster for um, kind of name dropping you to me and <laughs> making this uh, connection possible. And uh, just thanks for your time. Well, I mean, I think we all know not only in the kingdom, but, you know, we're relational. And so it's all about relationships, bro. Even in the military and even now, right? So that's why we're here. It's all because one relationship led to the next relationship. 100%. 100%. Um, man, well, there's so much that I would love to talk to you about and kind of unpack with you today. Uh, to be honest, I've I've heard some of your story, and it's um, one of the most incredible stories I've probably ever heard. And there's so much again that I'd love to unpack with you. But if we could kind of go back to the beginning, where where did you grow up, and what was your early life like? Yeah, so I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I grew up in a in a town. Um, that's in between Anaheim where Disneyland is and Los Angeles. So for people, people to know that it, so the city, his name is Whittier, the city of Whittier in Los Angeles mm-hmm. grew up there. Uh, I would say pretty average home, average life, but Duke, there's something that I just recently realized as we talk about my life and, and how I grew up and Many of your listeners and and even yourself may have looked back and did an inventory of your life and said, you know, you can you can just go back and see things that happened in your life that that were very transformational. Mm. And in my life, what was happening is, well, and, and let me let me say this first. One of the reasons that I began to reflect on my life is because I started working on a book called I Never Heard My Dad Say. So my wife and I are, we've authored two books and we'll talk more about those here in a little bit. But the the third book that we're working on is I Never Heard My Dad Say. Hmm. And in, in the quest to search the content of that book out really came from my heart, really came from a, a conversation with God as he began to reveal that for years and years and years, I had an orphan heart. Um, but where did that come from? Where did that orphan heart come from? 
And why am I writing a book called I Never Heard My Dad Say? Well, because my dad died when I was five years old. He drank himself to death. His uncles thought it was cute when he was a young kid to give them alcohol so they could be amused. They gave the kids alcohol and so they can watch him fall over, be dumb. And that was amusing to them. But what they did is they actually imparted into my father. See, a lot of people don't realize that we are actually imparting into our children. You know, um, you know, the Bible says that that a, a man will leave a good inheritance to his children, you know, and to his grandchildren. Well, what was what I was inheriting was alcoholism. So my dad dies at 34 years old, I'm five years old. I never heard my dad say, I love you. You're my son and who I'm well pleased. And as I've put this book together, what I realized in Luke chapter three, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, comes out of the water and his father affirms him right off the bat. And at that point in his life, Duke, Jesus had not raised one person from the dead, had not preached one sermon, had not done one miracle, on. and his daddy was already proud of him. Come on. And so for me, I never got that affirmation from a, a dad. My dad, and the reason, and, and I'm using dad and father, like I'm using dad at home and father for my father who is in heaven because I, I need to differentiate during the book and, and as I'm talking because. Here's the spoiler alert, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to your listeners right up front. It took me years to realize this. Although I didn't have a dad, I always had a father, but mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And so what happened because I, and my, my, my dad should have been a reflection, right? We're made in the image of likeness of God, but because he wasn't in my home for him to reflect that image and likeness, I was never affirmed. I, I never had him uh, shed that image and likeness onto me. So what did I do? I needed to be affirmed and my mom couldn't give me what I was supposed to get from my dad. So I went looking for affirmation. I ran after it. Where did I, where did I look for the affirmation? My knuckleheaded friends, right? Sure. I, I needed people to pat me on the back and tell me that I was the guy. Well, Growing up in the 80s and 90s in Los Angeles, I grew up in skateboarding and Tony Hawk and, you know, I mean, it, it was Come cool. On. And then all of a sudden, that scene just transitioned and we went into the NWA days and Gangster Rat came out and it was, it was F the police and it was blah, blah, blah. And I grew up right in the middle of that. And so when my friends started looking at gangs and they became my source of affirmation, so how was I going to get them to tell me that I'm the guy? I had to become right. the gang member. So at seventh grade, I'm jumped into a gang. By ninth grade, I'm a teenage father. And by 12th ninth grade, grade, by ninth wow. grade, I'm a teenage father. Yep. Wow. And as a matter of fact, I turned, turned 15 September 10th. And September 30th, my son was born. Wow. And, and here's what I'll say. A lot of that. A lot of that uh, of what transpired during that time is because my girlfriend at the time, 
she didn't have a mother or a father at home. She was living with her grandmother. And, mm. and both of us, both of us were, I would say we're, we both had orphan hearts. And so her friends, her young little girlfriends, we were in junior high. She was looking for affirmation for them while they were doing things that married people should be doing with their husbands. Right. You know? Right. And so in order to be in the circle, in order to be in the clique, her friends started doing these things. And she, we, anyways, we ended up having a kid sure. and, and people think that affirmation from people like, oh man, like this is going to be great. They're going to tell me that I'm the best. Well, that decision, when we, when we had a young child, it utterly destroyed our relationship. So what we thought was going to be like, oh, we're going to be cool in the eyes of our friends. Well, when we had a baby, they moved her an hour away. When you're 15 years old and your girlfriend moves an hour away, they might as well have moved her to Mexico. Right. Right. Yeah. Because who is going to take a 15 year old, drive them an hour away. So that that's kind of what I was going through. And then in 12th grade, I got into methamphetamines. One day I was looking at one of my, one of my friends and I said, Hey man, what are you doing? And he said, Hey, why don't you try it? So you know, I often ask people, how many of you have been wounded by people that you've trusted? I'm not saying that my friend wounded me, but what I am saying is that there's many people today that have never recovered from situations that someone that's supposed to have loved them, like my dad and his uncles giving them that alcohol, right? Sure. What did I lose? What did I lose when I lost my dad? What did he lose? He lost his future. He lost his career. He lost his marriage. He lost his children. And ultimately he lost his life all because someone, people that supposedly loved him told him to try this. Well, in my life, someone that's supposed to, should have loved me enough to say, dude, stay away from this. They didn't. Yes. And we have, we know many people today, like the situation I grew up in, that have not recovered because someone said, try this, drink this, smoke this, snort that. And that's where, that's kind of where I started out in life. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I'm here right now because I had me a praying grandmama. I'm here today because of a praying grandmother and grandma didn't go off of what she saw. Grandma prayed. She sought the Lord. And you know what? She never once preached the gospel at me. She never once um, beat me up with the word. See, I grew up in a home that, that I would say that we knew Jesus. And if you asked us, we would have told you, yes, we believe in God. But we had, I had no relationship with him. And I don't think any of my siblings did either. But my grandmother did. And so grandma would call the prayer line. Grandma was calling her friends and she just kept praying for us. And I'm the evidence of a grandmother's prayers. And I, I often say this, that my sister was the hands and feet to grandma's prayers because my sister saw the addiction, right? Because here's what happens, Duke. When someone's addicted, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's pornography today, whether it's alcoholism, or if it's extreme and it's heroin or, or methamphetamines. When you're addicted, the world sees it, but you don't. Yes. And so my sister saw right through the addictions 
and grandma's prayers became the hands and feet to my sister's actions. So I often tell people, grandma planted the seed in the ground and my sister watered it. And here, here's, why, here's why I talk about watering. My sister had me come live with her. And she said, hey, look, man, you need to, you need to get your life together. I see what you're doing. I, I see the addiction that you're in the middle of. And oh, no, I'm not, right? Because we, we lie. When you're addicted, you lie. You lie to everybody, you lie to yourself. So my sister says, you're going to come live with me. So I go, I, I move in with my sister. She has me sleeping on her couch. And then when you're a meth addict, you stay up all night and you sleep all day. Well, what did my sister start doing? She's like, you are not going to be a loser in my house. She started pouring water on me as I slept on her couch. She started waterboarding me on her couch before I joined the military. <laughs> Tough so love, you, baby. Yeah. So that's what I say. Grandma planted the seed in the ground and my sister watered it. So let me stop right there, Duke, yeah. if you have any questions. Yeah. And that's, that is leading up to before I joined the military and why I joined the military. Yeah. Because John Arroyo, um, it was go to war, or go to jail. Yeah. Well, man, there's so much. There's so much there. There's so much to, to unpack. I want to keep getting your story, but I, but I would like to just kind of circle back to what you kind of started off with and that, that orphan, that orphan heart, you know, and, and living from that place of, of not being aware of the, of your father, of, of the love of your father um, in heaven. And the fact that he was there for you uh, through all of that, through all of that experience and through, um, you know, losing your, your father, um, your, your dad here on the earth uh, at such a young age. Uh, but, but being being impacted by by that, of course, being impacted by uh, by not having a dad, and then uh, eventually, you know, you 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 talked about how uh, Jesus there he receives that affirmation from his father, and it's like that affirmation that we're all that we're all hungry for, you know, um, and and we can go after that in so many just really messed up ways, you know, because. You know, for for example, so um, what was is that what kind of pulled you in? Do you think to to the to the gang life because that was pretty much the place where you felt like that acceptance, that affirmation was coming from. So, uh, or what was it? What was kind of the allure that that kind of pulled you into that and made you feel like that was the direction you needed to go in? Well, I'll say this: one, I was. Uh, my friends, it wasn't because I was looking for family or community. I, I know a lot of people, I've heard that, like, man, people, there's some people I'm sure that they need that. But it was just, I was influenced. I was influenced because my friends liked it. And, and I'll say this, my brother, because he didn't have my dad in our lives either, I followed my brother. So just recently, mm -hmm. I, I read a book. It's called, it's called Apprehension handed by a guy named Britt Hancock. He is the founder of Mountain Gateway Ministries. And I'm reading his book and he's talking about his brother. And it and it's, I want to say it's during the time that movie Woodlawn came out. And, it, and it's about a move of God that happened in this high school um, and how it just transformed the community. Well, they actually grew up in that community where the, the, the spirit of God moved in that community. And this is what Britt said as I read his book, Apprehended. He said, my brother prayed, so I prayed, right? He, he's, he's influenced by his older brother. He says, my brother prayed, I prayed. My brother began to um, 
read his Bible, so I read my Bible. My brother wanted to tell people about Jesus, so I wanted to tell people about Jesus. Well, my brother had got influenced by a good friend of ours that was older that we looked up to, and he got into the gang. So I bet you if my brother was praying, I would be a man of prayer. If my brother was reading his Bible, I probably would have pulled out my – why? Because I looked at my brother, and I looked at those people that were influential in my lives, and I wanted to be like them. Why? Because I didn't have a dad in my life to to give me that affirmation or, or reflect God. And so, man, I, I went through life also asking a whole lot of questions like, do I did I do this because my dad does it? And so to answer your question, it, it wasn't because I was looking for community, but I was looking for someone to look up to. And, and mm. the people that I was looking up to were being steered in the wrong direction as well. And so I just... Yeah. I was following the train that was leading off the tracks, you know, and I couldn't get back on, you know, and let me add this real quick, dude, as I'm writing this, as I'm writing this book, I, I had a, had an encounter with a young girl in another state and this girl and her mom, I had spoke at this youth group and this, and this girl and mom come up to me on Sunday as I visited the church, um, where that youth group was was located with. And this mom comes up and she says, hey, thank you for speaking to the youth. You know, my daughter was part of that meeting that you spoke at. And I was like, oh, hey, thanks, mom, you know, thanks. And she says, my daughter was getting involved in sex trafficking. Duke, wow. this girl was like a 14-year-old little girl that you would never wow. suspect, never. I mean, this girl was the little girl next door that no one suspected. And mom said, when we, she said, she opened up a Venmo account and she started selling pictures of herself. Wow. And right then it I it was almost like I was just punched in the heart by the Holy Spirit. And it, and what I felt is that little girl had never been affirmed at home by her daddy. So the moment a man told her she looked good, it filled that emptiness in her heart. Come on. And yeah. mom said when we found out, when we found out she was 1 hour from being picked up. Man, man, that's incredible. You know, for you, John, because um, you mentioned you mentioned this how your your grandmother um, <laughs> how her prayers for you really are are what ultimately changed the direction of your life and her kind of relentlessness to continue to pray and to and to intercede on your behalf. Thank God for grandmothers and moms and and dads and family members that just pour their lives out that way, right? Um, so many of us. I mean, where would any of us be if it wasn't <laughs> if it wasn't for that, uh, you know? But um, so you you kind of had this gift of your your grandmother's faith that became um, such a you know incredible resource for you in your own life, even if you know for a while you maybe weren't aware of it or whatever. At what point did you, and I might be jumping the gun here, I don't know, um, before we get into the other parts of your story, but at what point did it really start to become real for you as far as, you know, because you had this knowing growing up of God and, you know, kind of like, you know, somewhat of a family that was conscious of God and stuff like that. But when did did a relationship with God become something that was becoming real for you personally? Um, when I, when I got my, when I had my own family. So when I, when I had my own family is when it really became real for me. Um, and, and a lot of that was because I needed, 
sorry, my light just went off. I'm gonna leave it off. Um, what what happened is when I had my own family, I began to take them to church on base. At that time, I was in the military, so yeah, we're we're getting a little ahead, but we'll 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 get back to the to we'll, we'll circle back. What led sure. me into the military, but um, I had enough foundation from grandma that I knew that I should take my kids into church. Hmm. We walked into that church lost, broken, but I believe that yeah. the Lord was like, look at this guy. He don't even know what he's doing, but he's at least trying. And in and blind faith, I didn't even like, I didn't know God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob yet. I knew him as the God of grandma. He was the God of grandma to me. And so I knew that this is what I was supposed to do, but I didn't know why. You know, I've heard people say, you know, they jump and they shout and they sing, but they don't know who they're singing to. They don't know who they're jumping for. You know, that was like me. I, I had enough to know that there was a God, but I had never had a personal relationship at that time. And, and I would just say that I just did it out of, out of just trying. Yeah. Best way to put it. Yeah. So um, when you, you said when it basically started when you had your own family, which was uh, about how, what was your age basically around that time? So I, I had, uh, when I got married in 2003 to my current wife, we've been married in August, it'd be 20 years. And so she had two children. She had a, she had a nine and an 11 year old. And then I had John Jr. that was in California. So I was in the military in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I would say, I think I was 25, 26 years old, something like that. And um, so that's a lot of years from, you know, growing up in California. And I joined the military at 20 years old. And, and in between graduating high school in 1996 and joining the military in 1998, th those two years, I was, I was addicted to drugs and on meth. And that's why I joined the military um, because I needed, I needed discipline and I needed to get sober and, and all those things. But uh, so I would say a few years after that is when I walked into church. And I, even when I was early in the military, I, you know, it, for me, it was, I, I was living this young, I was living in the world and that's probably just the best way to say it. I was living in the world. There was no war going on, you know, when I joined the military in 1998, um, and so it was, it was almost like probably a college lifestyle, you know, I would probably say, and, uh, I hadn't been in college during that time, but that's the, probably the best way I can relate it, you know, in, in a co-ed dorms, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into that, man. I, I'd love to get into, um, what your experience in the military was like. I know that, um, you did a couple of tours in Afghanistan and a tour in Iraq and, uh, man, there, I'm, I'm sure there's so much to unpack there as well. So 1998, you are going into the military and you're, how old are you in 98? Uh, 20 years old. 20 years old. Yeah. Okay. And I actually turned, I joined the military in June and then in September I turned 21. So 20, 20, 21 years old. Okay. And what was your, what was your mindset or what was it that, um, that led you to, uh, to go into the military in the first place? Uh, I got tired of my sister pouring water on me in the mornings because meth, <laughs> meth addicts stay up all night and they sleep all day. And my yeah. sister said, you're not going to be a loser here. Um, mm. And so 
I said, well, what, you know, what should I do? And she said, you need to join the military. I said, it's not for me. A couple more douses of water. I said, let's go see the recruiter. So we go to the army recruiter and that guy's a used car salesman. Right. And he's, and I go and I take the ASVAB, the entry exam into the military. I fail it, Duke. I mean, today, I mean, if you, if you know who I am, you know that I retired as an army captain. But when I first joined the military, I mean, I wasn't hitting on all cylinders. And, it, and, and here's what people need to know. It's not that you're dumb because I wasn't uh-huh. dumb. I just didn't apply myself. To the things that the things that I applied myself to were things that were going to give me affirmation. That was for me during that time was getting people to like me, getting people to pat me on the back. And so if I made people laugh in class, I'd get kicked out. But I was I wanted to be the, the funny guy, the cool guy. Well, that doesn't help when your teacher kicks you out so he can give the lesson because you're really just distractive distracting the, the class so i take the test into the asvab i fail it you got to score a 30 i get a 29 i go back i think a few weeks later like six weeks later i think i was allowed to take it and i score a 31 and i was like hey look i don't need to be the rocket science construction guy just give me something that's you know that's going to be simple because I'm not staying in the military. The military is not going to be a career for me. I just need discipline, a skill, some health insurance, and then I'm going to turn around and go home. There's so many people that that join the military because they're really just trying to escape their past or, or life or man, some of them just need to eat. Right. So they're like, Hey, this is, this is a good yeah. foundation. So I joined uh, as an army truck driver because a good majority of the men, like my uncle, my brother-in-law, they were truck drivers. And I said, well, you know what? Back home, I'll just, I'll do my three years. I'll turn around, I'll come home and, and I'll have a skill and I'll be able to do what all the other men in my life do. And then I end up at the 82nd Airborne Division, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Hmm. And Duke, let me say something. You know that <laughs> discipline I was looking for? I wasn't oh, looking yeah. for it anymore. It found me, baby. Oh, man. That's, it, it was, it wasn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> But it was it was tough love. Some intensity you know, on that on that campus, huh? It became it became the affirmation and love that I was always looking for. Those men and yeah. women began to love me like a father. They loved me yeah. enough to 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 be tough on me, but yet love me. And I knew that they, we all knew that they loved us. And that that first organization that I ever that I went into in the 82nd Airborne Division as a truck driver became the foundation and the platform for the rest of my career. And that's what should have been at my home. All the discipline and everything that I found in the military and the affirmation, I should have got it at home from dad, but I didn't. I had to get it from other people. But here's the other thing. That orphan heart can easily hide itself and and it's like a chameleon right? It, it can, it can hide and then come out and you don't really know that it's actually an orphan heart. So when I joined the military on Fort Bragg, North Carolina, that's actually home, home of special operations. And so yeah. my peers at the time were like, Hey, look, look at those green berets. Look at those army Rangers. They're the best man. Well, what was I needing people to think about me? I needed people yeah. to like me. I needed people to pat me on the back. So I was like, I'm just going to start telling everybody, but I'm going to be this Green Beret. So so what came out of me, Duke? That orphan heart that needed affirmation because I, because I didn't know 
who I was. I needed people to constantly affirm me because I didn't know my own identity. I didn't know that I already had a father. So I just started telling people I was going to be a Green Beret and I was going to try out. I had no I had no plans on going to try out to be a Green Beret. <laughs> I just, but what happened is people started saying, yeah. oh, hey, John, hey, you know, they call you Arroyo, right? They call you by your last name in the military. Like, yeah. hey, Arroyo, man, that's so cool, man. Like, dude, that's awesome. You're going to go try out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go try out, you know, and I'm here I am taking all these pats on my back. And then one day a guy walks up to me and he says, hey, either go try out or shut your mouth. And I was like, oh, man, you got to put up or shut Come up. On. Well, what yeah. does God use today? He uses my voice, actually. So I had to put up. Yeah. So September 10th. Sounds like your sister all over again, man. That's it, man. September <laughs> tough, 10th. Tough love. September 10th, 2001, I start, I start selection. So selection is just, do you have what it takes to for us to even put you in the training course to be a green break? Yeah. This is like Navy SEALs have buds, right? So you got to go through this. Sure. They call it like hell week. You know, this is yep. for Green Berets, it's hell month, right? It's like 24 days. And so I go through this. I start September 10th, 2001. September mm -hmm. 11, 2001, we're now a nation at war. One day later in the September, Colonel. Sorry, I, I it went over my head. September 10th, 2001 September is when 10th, you, 2001. you enlisted with the beret the, to, yeah, to go through Green Beret out, training. Trying out in their selection. So, here I am in this this hell month, right? And and uh, and it's physically, mentally, emotionally challenging. And so day two, there's terrorist attacks in the United States, and they tell us, "Hey, we are now a nation at war." And we said, "No, we're not. It's part of your scenario. You're gonna, you, you know, this is this is what you guys, right? Or, you know, this is your scenario." <laughs> and the colonel said, "No, if you want to be a part of what's going to happen in the next few years, you're in the right place at the right time." So I make it, Duke, I go all the way to the end, 24 days. I don't get kicked out. I don't get hurt. But they look at me and they say, we don't think you're smart enough. We don't think that you're going to make it through our training course academically. So here I am. Wow. Here's one thing that I didn't tell your listeners. In junior high, I didn't graduate. They just passed me along. I often tell people it's because they didn't want a 21-year-old eighth grader with a beard. They just California school <laughs> system stuff, man. They just passed me along. Yeah. And then in high school, this is how I made it through high school. The teacher's assistant after high school, I didn't cross. I didn't get my diploma crossing the stage like everyone else. I was five credits short. I had to go into summer school and the teacher's wow. assistant gave me answers to the test. I took the test. I passed. That's how I got my diploma. So here I am. Never cross an academic stage. I cheat to get out of high school. I failed the ASVAB. I'm trying to be one of the most elite commandos. And I fail and they look at me and you know, Duke, well, man, there's so many people that would just quit. They would just quit, you know, I, and I'm not going to say that, that God caused me to fail, but I look back on my life. I said in the beginning, you ever look back on your life and begin to take inventory of where you're at? Here's what I believe God used for me because Joseph had to go from the pit to the palace. There was a process that God had to take him to. Moses had to go from the palace to the pit in order for God to work things out in him. Yeah. John Arroyo had to go from the pit to the palace as well, just like Joseph. He kind of followed that. There was a lot of 
failure because God was working all that junk out of my life and he didn't cause me to fail, but he used it and here's why. Because failure caused me to be humbled. Failure caused me to understand that I needed somebody greater than me to help me. Because if I would have succeeded at everything, every time at the highest levels, God would never be able to use me because my head would be so big. My pride would be so big and I would be telling God how to run the world. Hmm. So I fail. I go back to my unit where I'd been telling everybody I was going to be this green beret with my tail between my legs. And I go back a year later. I didn't want to go back. I just, we had some training mission come up and I didn't want to go to that. So I told them I was going back to selection. And then they said, well, go with us. And then you're going to, we'll let you go to selection. So I kind of put my foot in my mouth again. So I, I went back to selection in 2002 and I, this time I got, I, I got selected, went to the, training course, made it all the way through. I actually completed everything academically. First time go. I, I, it was amazing. In one June, 2004, I signed in the third special forces group on Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I become a green beret and I sit across from my Sergeant major, who is the senior enlisted advisor. And he looks at me and he says, John, you have 15 days to get your family in order and we will meet you in Afghanistan. You will meet us in Afghanistan. Well, and Duke, you asked me a question about where my face started. And I, and I told you earlier that it started with, with grandma and walking into a church and taking my own kids. But in 2004, grandma gave me a bottle of anointing oil as I was preparing to go into Afghanistan for the first time. And again, he was the God of grandma. He wasn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob yet. But right. grandma says, mijo. I want you to plead the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. And I'm like, okay, grandma, I'm going to do it. Cause I listen to grandma. So I go in, here I am, John and Royal, 2004, June, 2004, going to Afghanistan and I'm a green beret and I have every weapon system known to man. I mean, you name it. I can call in J dams. I have sniper yeah, weapons, right. 50 yeah. cal machine guns. But as soon as I get on ground, and as soon as I meet up with my team and the first time we get ready to go out and, and go out of the wire, go on a mission, I pull out my weapon of choice. I pull out grandma's bottle of anointing oil and I begin to plead the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. I go to our up armor Humvees. I go to 50 cal machine guns. I go to the driver steering wheel and I begin to put plead the blood of Jesus. Dude, I didn't even know what I was doing then. I didn't even know. Again, I believe that God was like, look at this kid. He don't know what he's doing, but blind faith. So one day, one of my teammates walks up to me. He, he's uh, the junior engineer on the team. And he says, hey, man, I appreciate what you're doing for us. But would you stop? Because no one's, shooting, stop? no one's shooting at us. And one of the guys standing next to him says, dude, that's the dumbest thing I've ever ever heard this guy <laughs> want them to start shooting at us this guy he says we're green we're green berets and we hear about all the other teams taking on the mongolian horde and, and fighting these mass amounts of guys and we're we're not getting it on like i i i anticipate i thought i was coming here to get into these big battles and have stories we got into a couple things here and there but it wasn't anything to the degree of what he was expecting so wow. that's 2004 deployment. I, we go back 2005 for our next deployment and they tell us, ex, you're going into a hornet's nest. 
expect mm -hmm. casualties. So what did I do? I pulled up, I pulled out my weapon of choice. I go and I start Come on. pleading the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone with grandma's bottle of anointing oil. And we got a new medic. And he walks up to that guy that asked me not to pray. And he said, hey, man, what's he doing? And he said, just let him go, bro. Just let him go. <laughs> Duke, three combat deployments, two, two to Iraq and one to Afghanistan. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob showed up every time from this kid that didn't know what the heck he was doing. And for a grandma who was praying for him. And, you know, I often ask people, and maybe your listeners, maybe they'll be able to relate. Maybe all you have is blind faith. Maybe you don't know Jesus like I do today. Maybe you are like, maybe today you're like me and you're just trying to figure out. And maybe he's just the God of dad, the God of grandma, the God of mom, or the God of your coworker. But if my teammate today runs into a hard time in his life, I wonder if he'll look back on those moments when we were praying and we were calling upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he watched me anointing those vehicles and knows that he made it home safe because of those prayers. And I wonder if what I did planted seeds in their life that they would call upon Jesus in the midst of the moments when they need him the most. Wow. Wow. It's unreal, bro. That's so cool. I, I mean, one thing that we see over and over again uh, throughout the Gospels is um, how Jesus was moved by the faith of, of people, people that didn't have it all together, people that didn't know what the answers were, people that like uh, in some cases didn't even have a relationship with God. But he would see the way that they would that they would act, the way that they would respond, the words that would come out of their mouth. And he would be moved like he would marvel, the, you know, the, the depending on what translation we're reading or whatever. But but he would be moved by the expressions and the demonstrations of faith coming from people of all walks of life. And so it's one of those things, man, that like God honors when he sees us with these acts of faith. And, and I think that that's so cool that even with something that you didn't even fully understand, but it was like almost it was like that obedience to grandma. It was that that willingness to say, you know what, I, I trust grandma. And so I'm going to do what she says because I know that she's I know that there's something to this. I know that she's watching out for me and that she has my back in this. So it's kind of like um, you were like drafting off of grandma, you know, all those years yeah. uh, until it became real for you, kind of like drafting off of her faith. And she, in a lot of ways, allowed you to help you kind of like get a head start, so to speak, um, in your walk with the Lord, even though you didn't fully understand what you were doing. But I think it's really cool, like something that. um uh, that I've heard uh, people say about the uh, the disciples when they started following Jesus, it was like they belonged before they believed. And it was like they were in this process of getting to know him and getting to understand the way of the spirit and, and the way of life and the kingdom and all of that. But they got to be part of the journey. They got to be along with him for the journey before it began to even fully click in their minds as to what is this all for and why are we really doing all of this? Mm -hmm. And I just think that that to me, that really just demonstrates the kindness of God that he honored faith and he honored, you know, both your grandmother's faith and your faith, even when it was coming from a place of not fully grasping yet or not fully mm -hmm. understanding yet. You know, I, I think that's a that's a beautiful story. Well, and, and I think um, I think Paul talks to Timothy about it. Right. And he says. 
and he's, and he's talking to Timothy and he's like, you're the faith that you once derived from your family, your grandmother, your mother. Right. And he talked, he's talking yeah. to Timothy about that. And he's like, I, I knew that you had strong faith based on the family that you came from and, and what was imparted onto you, brother, you're standing on it. And so, um, man, we see that you're right, man. Just from the Bible is, is, is Paul is just encouraging Timothy and telling him to keep staying the word, use the word. It's, it's for reproof. It's for correction. You know? And he's like, I, I know your faith because I saw it in your grandmother and I saw it in your mother. And so you're right. So anyways, yeah. um, I ended up, I ended up during that time going to Afghanistan, coming back and forth and, and I'm drinking. So now I'm not, I'm not addicted to meth, but I picked up what my dad put down right? Mm. Alcohol became my legal drug. And so my family, um, you know, they told us when I was in the 82nd Airborne Division that we, that we were the most physically fit alcoholics. And we wore it like a badge. Like we were proud to say that we were proud to say that. And so here I'm going on deployment. I'm coming back from deployment and I'm drinking. Now I'm married. I got, I got some kids in the home. And I begin to be mean. I'm angry. You know, the first time I ever had an anxiety attack, Duke, was in Afghanistan. And it wasn't because I was going to face the enemy. It was because I had to face my peers. Because as a young rookie Green Beret going into Afghanistan, you couldn't mess up. And those guys are, I mean, I'm telling you, like, those guys are meat eaters. They're type A personality, and they will let you know if you're not doing something right. And I remember we had an eight o'clock meeting every morning in Afghanistan, and it scared me to go in there because I didn't want them to ask me anything because I was afraid I wasn't going to have the answer. I started having anxiety attacks. I never knew what that was. I came home, and what? So what happens when you're all you're like a like a tense cat? Right. And you bring in all that workload home and you got to come home and all of a sudden you got to decompress. But then you got to step in and your wife is like, great, you're home. You're going to help me. Right. So we got the kids and you're going to pick them up and you're coming back from war and you're and you're doing these things. So what did I do? I just I just kept drinking. So here I am drinking. And but this time I bring my wife on this trip with me and I'm like, hey, you want to hang out with me? I need you to drink some of those. So she starts drinking. I'm angry. I'm mean. I never beat my family. I didn't, I wasn't putting my hands on my family, but oh, Duke, I tell you what, I could cut my family down with my tongue. And I know that there's a lot of men and women that have cut their family down with their tongue. And let me say this, it was, it was bad. And during that time, I, my wife couldn't do it right. My kids couldn't do it right. And my wow. wife during that time attempted suicide twice, just trying to just trying to escape the the angry man. And she felt like she was in between me and my kids. Then about 2006, I get into a motorcycle accident. I, I have to take a staff job. And then I take a second job. I took a second job. I didn't need it. I was in the military. But it, so I can make $100 more a week. So here I am, I'm drinking, coming back and forth from deployments. I'm home for a while. I can't deploy because of my shoulder. And I take a second job. My wife is a nurse working 7A to 7P. 
but I'm going to work in the army till five o'clock from the morning till five o'clock. And then I go to my second job. Well, wow. when your kids are teenagers and your dad's not home, see, they had a dad, but this time it wasn't that, that I was dead or in, like my father. It wasn't that I, that I was gone. I was absent. Yeah. There's a lot of kids today that have absent parents. They're in the home, but they're not there. So here's what happens. My kids start getting smoking, smoking weed, doing all the things that, that I started doing when I was a kid. Why? Because there's no one there to raise them. When you, when you take on the world's life, you get the yeah. world's results. And so who was there to raise my kids? It wasn't me. I left it up to the world. Because I was too busy trying to fill my emptiness, drinking and trying to make $100 more a week. And you know what wow. I did? I blamed my kids and I blamed my wife for me being an absent parent. My children needed their daddy. And I was giving wow. them exactly what I received, which was nothing. My kids needed to be raised by their daddy and they weren't getting it. And I blamed my wife. And that's part of the reason why my wife wow. attempted suicide twice. Well, wow. but go ahead. Is, isn't, isn't that, isn't that so interesting, John, how, when we have those unresolved, you know, wounds that we're carrying from our past that we can, we can end up, um, a, you know, adopting those same kinds of tendencies and we can end up, uh, you know, others in the same way that we've received, you know, that hurt and that pain. And obviously, like, I'm sure that wasn't intentional, but I'm wondering, was it like, a, was it kind of like a coping thing for you to, I, I mean, like, even filling up the time that you did have. So like taking on another job that probably wasn't even like super necessary, right? Um, as far as the, the finances go, but like taking on like in an, another job that was filling up more of your time so that you were absent from your family more often. Um, probably I would imagine that your mindset wasn't, I don't want to be near my family, but I would imagine that, you know, maybe it was, or, or was it, I guess is what I'm asking you is, is, is that like kind of taking yourself out of their lives a little bit, a little bit more than even you, you needed to by taking on this additional job, this additional responsibility. Was it, what was going on in your mind there that was kind of telling you that you needed to do that or like was it just kind of is there something there that you were maybe masking or hiding from do you think um i'm not really sure i do know that uh the the salesman when i went to buy a vehicle i tried to haggle with them it was at carmax i tried to haggle with him he's like we're no haggle he's like but man you do a great job and i was <laughs> like all right like yeah I, I could do this and he's like you want a job and i was like Nah, I don't, I don't need a job, but I don't know what it was, man. It, it just, I, I'll say this. It wasn't smart. And my family, my family suffered for the decisions that I made. I know that for sure. And that's what I, I don't know what led me to do it. I think it was just trying to make a couple extra bucks thinking that I was going to, you know, I was trying to, you know, as orphans, you try to conquer the world. You know, you try to do it in your own strength, in your own way. And so, sure. you know, you're trying to conquer the world and you're trying to make a name for yourself and you're trying to, you know, build a legacy that for yourself. And 
Um, you know, there's so many world leaders today that that were orphans and you see it, you know, what people don't know is that we're actually dealing with daddy, mommy, daddy issues that had never yeah. got dealt with. And so yeah, we're just out there trying to conquer the world, man. And, and there's carnage, you know, there's, there's consequences to sin. And even though God will, will save you, heal you and set you free, you got to go back sometimes and you got to go back and you got to deal with those consequences, just like David. You know, with Bathsheba, that God God set him free and God forgave him, but there was results, there was consequences to his actions, regardless whether God forgave him after. And so mm-hmm. today, my kids, I have to, even though I'm we are saved, we're healed, set free, and delivered, and my wife and I more so than were our kids, but there's consequences because you're imparting when my kids were growing up. They didn't grow up in church. They grew up in barbecues and beers. They grew up with the with the father that had this street California mentality. So I would invite my friends over on Fridays and we did the barbecues and beers life. Just like I said in that book, Apprehended, if I would have saw my daddy praying or my brother praying or reading his Bible, I would have been doing those things. And guess what I would have showed my kids? Praying, doing those things, just like grandma yeah. ended up showing me, right? But I, yeah. I didn't. So my kids grew up in a home where they were, what was imparted to them was barbecues and beers. And guess what's in my, the kid's life today? Barbecues and beers. So what I'm trying to do now is be like grandma and pray them out of it. Yeah. Wow. So 2009, we, we hit rock bottom and we end up going to a church. That's when we finally submitted to the Lord. We hit rock bottom and the Lord pulled us into a church. And, and a lot of that is because I believe he knew a storm was coming and he, and we had to be trees planted into the rivers of living water. And if we didn't get into the rivers of living water, plant into his word, there was a category five storm that was about to hit and it was gonna take us out. And so we end up in this church we drug our alcoholism with us. We drug our lifestyle with us, mm-hmm. but the Lord had grace on us. He's the one who called us in, right? The Bible says you can't come to the Lord unless he calls you. So he had be, He began to pull us. And, and I believe, I, I, I point back that grandma was praying. And yes. here's the other thing, Duke. My grandmother died in 2007. Her prayers and God's faithfulness were still active after she was gone. So here's what I want to tell your listeners. Don't go off of what you see and don't stop praying because it's not you who's faithful. It's God who's faithful. He just needs, he just yes. needs some laborers, right? What did Jesus say? Pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest. If no one else is going to pray for your family and you have, I pray for my family by name. I name my children. I name my grandchildren. I name my wife in my prayers. I call them by name because if you're not doing it, who else is going to call your children by name before the Lord? No one. Look what Samuel's mother did. Samuel's mother said, Lord, you give me a child and I'm going to give them back to you. That's legacy. Hmm. She turned around and gave her child back. So what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, you've given me this child. You've given me this family. You've given me this marriage. Now I'm giving it back to you. And you put those things before the Lord and watch what he does. So 2011, I get this opportunity to, I I get this opportunity to go to, college and become an army officer, go from enlisted to officer. This knuckle dragger that never, I mean, failed more things in his life than he ever succeeded at is going to go to college and try out to be an army officer. No way, no way. 
I apply, I get accepted. Oh shoot. Talk about anxiety. I'm scared. Now you, I can shoot, move and communicate for a living, but now I got to write papers for a living. Oh man, <laughs> I was scared as heck. I make it all the way through college. I graduate. I become an army officer and I said, okay, let's go somewhere else. We've been on Fort Bragg, North Carolina for a long time. Let's go somewhere else. Fort Bragg is where Spartans are made. I was tired of being a Spartan. My back hurt jumping out of airplanes my whole career, carrying heavy packs, chasing bad guys up mountains. I'm like, let's go something different. So I said, they gave me an opportunity I, to go somewhere else. And so I said, I'll take Texas. So in November, 2013, I end up in Texas and my wife and I are there. We're getting settled in and I'm just going to fast forward for your listeners five months to April 2nd of 2014. So now it's April 2nd of 2014. Second, yeah. So we, we, we get to Fort Hood, Texas in November of 2013 and then April 2nd of 2014, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I got to go to my unit headquarters and I'm getting out of my car because now I'm, I'm a Lieutenant and I'm um, just kind of getting my, kind of my routine. I'm getting my routine now. And uh, I got to go to my unit headquarters four o'clock in the afternoon. I shut the door to my car and parked in the parking lot. And I turn as I turn, I instantly hear shots fired. And I'm like, what is that? And I turn to my one o'clock to where I heard the shots fired and a car pulls up in front of me and I see the car and I acknowledge the car and I acknowledge the individual. But Duke, who thinks that they're in danger on base behind security right in a parking lot? Not me. Yeah. So I turned my head back to where I heard the shots fired and the next shot I heard ripped through my throat. April 2nd of 2014, one soldier shot 19 of us. I took a 45 caliber that severed my jugular vein, went through my voice box, traveled into my right shoulder. So I was like this, looking here when he shot me point blank in the throat with a 45. The driver drives off and I turn and I walk back towards my car. You know, Duke, I want to share something with your listeners. Why did the bullet strike me directly in my throat? Why didn't it hit my hand? The guy shot me from 15 yards away. Why didn't it hit my hand, my arm, my leg, miss me? Mm -hmm. Today, God uses my voice. So where did the enemy put that bullet? Point blank, where God was going to get glory in my life, where grandma had been praying. See, because Grant, when God did is he takes our, our prayers and he says, thank you for being faithful to pray, but I got bigger plans. God uses my voice today. And so the enemy put a bullet right in, right in my voice box. Hmm. So where do you think your battles are going to lie? Maybe listener, you're called to be a father to raise your kids. So your biggest battles in your home, maybe you're called to be a giver. And so you're, you battle in your finances. Maybe you're called to be a politician or a teacher. What I'm saying is your greatest battles are going to be in the place where God is called to get glory in your life. How do I know that? Because I took a 45 through my throat and today Jesus uses my voice. So I head back to my car. I'm on the ground. My life is pouring out. And I often ask people, how long do you think I should have lived after taking a 45 through my jugular vein, point Jeez. blank, seconds, seconds? Yeah. 
I'm on the ground, my life's pouring out, and I hear this audible voice. John, get up or your wife is going to die. Well, I had never heard God's audible voice before, and I shake it off because I'm <laughs> freaking out. And I'm thinking yeah. about I'm thinking about my situation. But you know, I think we all and I think a lot of us respond the way I did that day. You know, this is how we respond to God today. God says, get up in our situation, in our marriage, in, in the doctor's report, right? And then we turn and we look at God and we say, God, are you really asking me to get up right now? Do you realize that I was just shot in the throat with a 45? Do you know what WebMD would say right now? <laughs> Do you, I mean, God, if you just Googled Don't 45 to the throat, I mean, yeah. If the doctors were here right now, God, they would tell me to stay on the ground. I don't think you understand. And that, that's how we respond to God. God, do you understand my marriage? Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what he did to me? And then he says, hey, I, I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive. I want, I want you to love your spouse. I want you to, to, to uh, love them. We don't, right? So we, we don't want to wanna, wanna listen to self-help remedies. We want to listen to WebMD. So the other thing is I'm on the ground. My life is pouring out. And the only thing I think about Duke, it's not how much money I had in the bank. It's not how many likes I had on Facebook from that post I just put up. It wasn't um, all the trivial things that I, that I had made that, that I tried to create the career, the, yeah. all those things that, that the world told me, this is what's going to feed me. The only Thing that mattered to me in the moments that I thought I had to live were the people that I sacrificed the most. Those people that I kept sacrificing were the only ones I thought about in the moments that I thought I only had left to live. The money, the status, the career, the emails, the social media, none of that mattered. And then I hear this audible voice again, John, get up or your wife is going to die, but this time more stern. You know, Duke, if we walked into people's homes right now, we would actually see what's going on. Let me tell you why Jesus was telling me to get up or my wife would die. Well, we both know that she was a two-time suicide survivor, right? Yep. But six months before I was shot, both her parents died nine days apart. When we got, when we got ready to leave North Carolina to move to Texas, her mother died of an aneurysm. Nine days later, her, died, her dad died of cancer. My Two years before that, her brother died in a hunting accident. She had lost her brother, her mother, her father. We had left our entire friends and family back in North Carolina. And I say family as in military family. We were there for 15 years. We left everybody there and we moved to Texas and we were on our own. My wife had nobody. And what Jesus was saying is if you don't get up off the ground, your wife is going to take her life. Oh, oh. But Duke, it was so easy to stay on the ground and die that day. Oh, so easy, right? That's what, that's what people do. It's just easier to stay on the ground and die and bleed out. You know, what if God actually told people what would happen to their family if they don't take action? What would happen to their children? He told me. He told me what would happen to my wife. So I get up. I grab onto my throat 
and I start walking and I see a soldier walking towards me. He's coming to me from a distance and he gets 10 feet in front of me and he stops and he's very um, hypervigilant. And I realized I'm standing in front of the man that just shot me. We're standing face to face, 10 feet in front of me. We're, he looks at me, looks to the left and right, and Jesus blinds him. He turns, walks away from me like I'm not standing there, shoots three more people, walks out the back and kills himself. That day he shot 19 of us. Oh my goodness. And Duke, I just want to leave this, and I don't have enough time to tell them the entire story. But I just want them to tell them that everything changed in the moment that I obeyed the voice of God and I got up. And let me tell you this, because this is important. The reason why I'm not telling you the complete details is because I want to share briefly my recovery process. My recovery process, physically, mentally, and emotionally, is probably the hardest thing I ever had to go through. And the physical part was probably the easiest part. The emotional wow. and mental recovery was the hardest part. And it's not because, because I was just mentally and emotionally broken, but it's because when I was broken, God began to heal all the broken areas in my life. He said, well, you're utterly broken. So I might as well just work it, work on all of it. And he started with my children. He started with my family. He said, you're broken. I might as well just fix it all. So he took my son, Mason, who was growing, grew up with me and him and I were like oil and water. He was the one that I blamed when he was a kid for getting in trouble and because I was absent. And Mason becomes my nurse, essentially my nurse. They train him how to take care of me because my wife, our home from where I was recovering was two hours away. And we had four dogs and two birds and my wife had to take care of our home. She's wow. going to be at two places at once. So Mason came and it was in the midst of my brokenness that I looked up at my son and ask him for his forgiveness. And God, I began to restore us in my brokenness. And everything was broken, utterly broken. And this is also what I wanna share with you guys, cause there's a lot of people right now saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? I know where God was in the middle of shots fired, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of breaking news. Friends, I can tell you where Jesus was. He was speaking to me audibly in the middle of my ear, telling me to get up. Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three men step into a fire. But when they looked in, there was a fourth one. Did God stop them from going in the fire? No, he didn't. He just stepped into the fire with them. And because they stayed so close to Jesus in the fire, when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Mm. Luke chapter 22, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. Did he stop it? No. Nope. You know what he says? but I've prayed for you I've prayed for you that when you return, that you will strengthen your brothers as well. Yeah. Friends, did God stop me from being shot? Nope. Did God shoot me so he can give me a testimony? No, because that's what so many people think. I'm suffering for Come Jesus. On, God, Jesus don't need Come you on. to suffer for him. Yeah. He sent his son for you. Just like Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, did he have to earn his father's love? No, all he ever had to do was receive it. Yes. Friends, Jesus is willing to step into the fire with you. And if you stay close to him like, like Mary and not Martha, because she chose the, the good thing, you will walk out of that fire and you won't smell like smoke.
here's the other here's the other thing I had to that that helped me heal. Jesus said, John, in order for you to heal, you have to forgive the man that shot you. What? Did you just say I got to forgive the man that just tried to kill me, Jesus? Do you realize what he did? He said, but yeah, I've forgiven you for all the things you've done. He said, John, if you don't forgive, here's what happens. Here's what unforgiveness looks like. See, the root cause of a lot of things in our lives is unforgiveness. And the symptom of it, like when you go to the doctors and you say, doc, my side hurts. And they're like, no, it's bigger than that. The root of that is something. But the symptom is itching or whatever, right? Feeling sick. Yeah. Unforgiveness. Here's, here's what symptoms look like to unforgiveness. Depression, anxiety, fear, suicide, alcoholism, you name it, right? And guess what all these veterans are dealing with? All this stuff. So Jesus said, John, if you want to heal, you have to forgive the man that hurt you. And then you have to forgive yourself for hurting other people. What? But when I followed Jesus and I obeyed his voice when I got up and I obeyed him by forgiving the man that hurt me and forgiving myself, Jesus said, thank you, John. Open your hand. Now you can heal. Friends, you want to know why I'm here on this podcast and I'm not at the VA wrapped up in the corner in a wet paper blanket? It's because I obeyed Jesus' voice. And when he spoke to me about the small things and the hard things, which was forgiving and forgiving myself and letting other people help me and seeking help, that's why I'm here today, friends. And I just want to leave you with a message that says, it's your turn to get up. Yeah. Man. Man, that's so good. That's so good. That's such that's such a powerful um, message that you just shared right there on forgiveness because um, you know, it's something that as a, you know, as, as a pastor, something I, I, I talk about often is, uh, is the importance of forgiving, but when it's coming from such an authentic place, like what you're talking about from someone who, um, who shot you and left you for dead and, you know, sent your life, if not for, if not for the grace of God, who, you know, let's say you had survived, um, but, you know, your life could have taken on such a such a drastic and and dark turn. You know what I mean? If not for the grace of God, you know, but um, but that so, something so profoundly impactful like that to you to say, um, yeah, I'm choosing to forgive and I'm not choosing to forgive because he deserves my forgiveness. I'm choosing to forgive because of my allegiance to Jesus and because mm -hmm. he calls me to do this because he's forgiven me. And it's, it's, it's a, it's an act of, it's an act of grace. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of, of really love for God to say, I'm choosing to do something that in my flesh would be pretty much impossible. Like it'd be pretty impossible in my flesh for me to like actually forgive, not to just say the words, but to actually like release somebody from the debt that they owe me when it's something like this, where they've wronged me so profoundly. And that that's such a powerful message because there are so many people that are still walking around carrying 
wounds and carrying baggage and carrying things from the past because it's wrapped up in this thing called resentment or in this thing called bitterness or, you know, whatever, whatever we, whatever it looks like or whatever we want to call it. But it's because something so horrible was done to me way back when. And I, I haven't been able to let go of it. I haven't been able to release it. And so I'm still uh, basically identifying myself by those wounds that I received back then. And it's such a it's such an uh, it, it's such a profound thing, man. When I hear somebody like you, who's had to live it out in a very, uh, again with something that that impacted your life so profoundly, to say, yeah, no, I had to choose to I had to choose to forgive, I had to choose to walk in forgiveness, and and that's such a that's such a powerful thing. And, and I'm also just curious, man. Like, you've been on this journey with God, where it sounds like a very kind of a gradual thing, right? Like first it was grandma's faith and you kind of stepping into some of that and then getting into church and bringing your family to church, but, you know, still kind of carrying around the lifestyle and the the drinking and the addiction there with you through that process, but kind of becoming more and more acquainted over time um, with God, with the love of Christ. I'm just curious for you because you've been, you've experienced wounds in your life, very profound wounds in different ways, like obviously physical wounds, uh, but mental and uh, emotional, um, you know, wounds and things that have happened to you throughout the course of your life. What was it like for you when you kind of started to like step into the healing that God had for you? And like when God started to kind of peel back those layers of your own identity and to show you who you really are? Um, I don't know if that's like a really loaded question. And I, I imagine that it happened over time. But what can you share about that? Um, I, I do know that when I got up off the ground, some of the desire, like I, I, probably the best way to say it is the old John Arroyo did die that day. There, there's parts mm. of me that didn't get up off the ground. Mm. It stayed there. And that was the, the alcoholism. Um, when I got up off the ground, I never took another drink. I never put alcohol to my lips ever again. And that's been over, it's going to be wow. nine years now. And wow. so there were some things about me that that God just instantly did. And then there were yeah. some things that became like a process. Um, yeah. And, you know, here's what happened after I. I was just going to a church Sundays and Wednesdays after I was shot in San Antonio. That's where I was recovering, San Antonio, Texas. And I was going to a church and I just let people minister on to me. I let I let the Lord minister on to me. Early on, I, you know, when you're military, you just, and probably there's a lot of people like this, but I was a good soldier. What do good soldiers do? They move on to the next objective, right? So I'm on the ground, I'm bleeding out. I'm, you know, Jesus saved me. So automatically I jump up and I'm, I start running after Jesus. And, you know, you saved me, Jesus. So now, now I got to go to Bible college. And, and so I signed up for Bible college and, and I get home and I have no peace. And I'm like, Jesus, how could I have no peace when I'm in Bible college learning about you? And he said, because I didn't call you to Bible college. Hmm. You did. See, wow. I wore this 418, mm -hmm. Luke 418, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, to open up the blind eyes, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Yeah. Right? All those things, all those things. Jesus said, John. Slow down so I can heal you. 
Hmm. You and your wife, you guys are broken. Slow down so I can actually heal your heart. So I can heal those emotional and mental wounds that you had. You know, I they put me on base after I was shot. They put me back yes. on base. And I remember people walking past me. I remember people walking past me and I would cringe. I would cringe because I thought they were going to shoot me. And yeah. I mean, there, there was just a lot. There's a lot of things that happened, but it was just to answer your question. It just transpired over time and it was just very slowly. And there were some things that the Lord had to work out in me, but a lot of it had to be with had, had to do with abiding. The only way I was going to make it is if I abided and Jesus wow. didn't give me. And I know that we're in an era where we want a new word from Jesus every Sunday, right? Jesus, give me another word. Give me another word. I'm looking for another word. So we're constantly looking for this new word, right? But the thing is, I didn't I didn't have a new word. All I had was get up. I had to go off the last word that Jesus gave me, and he didn't give me another one. Come on. So man. guess what I had to do? Until that word was fulfilled, I had to go off of it. And there were days, Duke, that life sucked. There were days when physically I didn't see any any results that I was going to get better. I thought my career was over. I just had to keep getting up. I just had to keep getting up and going off of what he said last. And he didn't give me a new word every Sunday. He didn't send me a new prophet. He didn't have me sign up for this new prophetic conference. He just gave me one word and I had to live that and walk that out. Yeah, brother. Man, that is such a good word that I feel like um, somebody needs to hear what you said. Uh, slow down so I can heal you. That's such a that's such a that's such a good word. And, um, you know, I love what you said there a minute ago about how, you know, God's not God didn't shoot you or God didn't inspire this person to, to shoot you so that he could show you something so that he could teach you something so that he could do something in your life. But one of the things about about God that he's so good at is he doesn't, he doesn't waste anything. You know, if we will, if we will uh, respond to him, you know, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of, you know, you're, you're thrown into the fire. Are you going to get close to Jesus in the fire, you know, recognizing that he's in there with you and, and allow him to shelter you, allow him to cover you. Because one of the things that you'll always find is that um, he's not going to, he's not going to waste the, the negative experience that what the enemy intends for evil, that he's intending it for good. He's not the author of that confusion. He's not the author of that, you know, traumatic experience or that tragedy. He's not the, he's not the author of it, but when you cling to him in the midst of what you're going through, he's so good at taking that thing that you're walking with and walking with you through that so that on the other end you come out and as you said you don't smell like smoke so that when you come through you come out on the other end and you've been healed and you're and you're walking in uh you know a, a new level a deeper level of faith a deeper level of intimacy with him a deeper level of of just healing you know for yourself and also so that now you know you're you're in this place where you're able to you talked about imparting you're in this place now where you're able to impart good things to your family but also to all those that God has, you know, um, allowed you to be in front of sharing your story, helping others to, you know, rise from the ashes, so to speak, helping others to, um, you know, discover hope in the midst of where they are. So before we, we wrap up here, John, would you share a little bit about uh, about your ministry and where people can go to kind of connect further with you and uh, the resources that you have available? 
Yeah. So my wife and I, we were with Dave Reaver Ministries. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dave Reaver. He's a Vietnam vet that for years and years and years um, used his story in high schools and schools all around and all over the world and with the soldiers. So we were with Dave for four years, or almost five. I would say almost, I would say five years because we were um, even while I was in the military finishing my last year, we were we were essentially already already committed to him. So uh, we were with Dave and he, he discipled us into telling our stories and sharing and going around. Um, and so we celebrate Dave Reaver ministries and, and um, he taught us, he taught us how to do it really, really honor him. So, but we just recently transitioned on our own and um, we, I, I'm not sure yet, but I believe that the Lord is going to have us. I feel in my heart that what God is calling us to try to do is, is to focus on legacy and that's restoring the home, restoring families, right? I talked about it earlier about uh, Samuel's mom turning around and giving God back her greatest, her greatest possession, which was her son. And you know, the Bible says that that a that a good man will leave inheritance for his children and his grandchildren. What we 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 often think of those things as money, but if I can leave my children an inheritance of everything that I have in Christ today the wisdom knowledge it, the bible says that wisdom knowledge and understanding are greater than rubies and riches right and if you wear them around your neck they'll protect you if you have prudence in your life it's going to protect you from going down the wrong path so that's what we feel that we're called to do is to is to help bring legacy and help bring an understanding of legacy back into a family and not so people that can just build this grandiose uh endeavors but so that so that they can have a legacy that they're proud of. And when they're gone, they won't just have a building with their name stamped on it, but they'll be hearts with their with their kids, with hearts with, with their legacy stamped on them. And it may not be just their family, but it may be people that they impart into. So uh, right now we are um, building that out. We're praying. We're, we're in a season of prayer. But you can follow me at getupwithjohn.com. You can follow me at on Facebook. Uh, John Arroyo on Facebook, A-R-R-O-Y-O. You can follow me on LinkedIn and you can see um, the transition as we transition into this. We may even start a podcast ourselves. Um, so that, that's what we're doing. This 418, we're actually coming out with the clothing yeah. line. So this yeah. this right here, the shirt that I'm wearing, it says, Deo Presso Liber. It actually, that's the Green Beret motto. It means free the oppressed. So that's mm -hmm. that's Latin for free the oppressed. Well, it's the Green Beret motto, and Jesus said in Luke 4.18, right? The Spirit yeah. of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to free the oppressed. Tim Tebow yeah. said in 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 his one of his college games that he put John 3.16 under his eyes, and it was Googled 90 million times. On the back of this shirt, I put I put free the oppressed, and it's got a knife, and I put 4.18 on it. Like you see right here, 4.18, because people love a secret these days. So they're going to Google 4.18. And guess where it's going to lead them to? Mm. It's going to lead them to the God who frees the oppressed. Right to Luke. So that's what that's yeah. what we're doing. So right now, we're building we're building out our ministry. I believe that God may have us do a podcast, but I go around and I speak. They can follow us. I get up with John. We got a couple of books. We got a book called Attacked at Home. Um, that's our, our our first book, and then we wrote a devotional, one hundred sixty six page devotional. The devotional is about you because people read, hear about our story and they say, God, where were you in my life? 
So this book is called Lord, the devotional is called Open Their Eyes. Second Kings chapter six, where Elisha prays and says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And what happens when his eyes are open, he realizes that there's more going on for him than there is against him. And so we wrote a devotional that said, Lord, now open their eyes, show them where you've been in their life all along. And you can get you can get you can get those books right now on Amazon. Um, that's where you can get the books, and then just follow us on Get Up with John, and we're, we're going to have a store coming out soon. So thanks, Duke. Awesome, that's so good. That's so good. Well, I, I appreciate you, man. I fully support the uh, podcasting thing. I think you should totally, <laughs> totally do a podcast. I'm always uh, I'm always down for encouraging people that have a that have a voice and that have you know, something on their heart to share, particularly when it's a message of hope or something like that to, uh, to, 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 to do a podcast. Cause I, I, I think it, I just think it's awesome. So uh, if you, if you ever need anything or, you know, need any, have any questions about how to get that off the ground or anything like that, just so you know, I'm, I'm available to you as a resource. And, um, I do appreciate you, man. I do want to say, John, thank you for, um, for your service, for all you've done, um, for this country. And, um, and to your, uh, your, your, uh, your wife as well. Um, you know, that's one of the areas that, that gets, and I know this is something that you talk about, but it's something that gets often overlooked is, um, are the, the spouses of, um, of our, of our veterans and those that have served, um, in the military. And, uh, you know, I know, I know you probably wouldn't be where you are today if it wasn't, if it wasn't for, um, for your wife and uh so just thank you guys both for for all of your service all that you've just laid on the line and uh for today for all that you're doing um for the kingdom and to help other people to experience the the hope and the life that uh that you've come to know thanks dude thank you so much and uh i hope your listeners are blessed by this and you know i actually had a pastor tell me he's like dude jesus told you to get up for your wife he's like dude you better be good to her like <laughs> he's like you better be good to her <laughs> Jesus cares about her so much. He saved your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you everybody for uh, being here, for stopping by and checking out this conversation with John Arroyo. Please um, check out the website, getupwithjohn.com and look for those uh, books on Amazon and uh, just check out those resources because I know that they'll be uh, an impact to you and add tons and tons of value to your life. Share them with somebody um, too that you know that you think uh, could benefit from from listening. Share this conversation with anybody that you feel like just comes into your mind and they need a, a little little bit of, of extra hope or something. But uh, appreciate you guys for stopping by. And uh, John, thank you again, sir. <laughs>